You're listening to Simple Roots Radio, episode eight. I was just thinking about this today that we have this habit of measuring who we are by what we accomplish or by what we get done in a day. I used to measure how much did you do compared to how much I did, and then let's see who had the better day. Then you know, if I didn't do enough, then I wasn't enough. And now I I measure in a completely different way. Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Schur. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. A nutritionist by trade, Alexa has rebelled against common misconceptions about nutrition and has created a realistic health style that will allow you to live a healthy, satisfied, and more simplistic life. It's raw, it's real, it's unfiltered. It's Simple Roots Radio. And now your host, Alexa Schur. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, I just wanted to remind you that this show is dedicated to simplifying your health, and we have a very special guest with us today who is going to do just that. But along with simplification, we'll also dig into personal development, living a purpose-driven life, as well as making real and honest changes that can be sustained for life. Don't worry, we'll always keep the topic of nutrition central while still realizing that health is so much more than just the food we put in our body. In today's episode, we're going to chat with Courtney Carver. Courtney is founder and author at Be More With Less. She is creator of Project 333, which is a minimalist fashion project helping you to look and feel better with less. Her mission is to help you simplify your life and start to really live. She is completely amazing and has so much wisdom as she has completely transformed her life and helps the lives of thousands of others do the same. Today, Courtney and I will be talking about all things simplification, more specifically how one health diagnosis completely transformed Courtney's life to adopt this new way of living, one in the present and full of so much life. I'll be asking Courtney about her health journey and how she transformed her life, how she overcame fear and how we can too, how we can use intention in our life, what one simple step of cleaning out your closet can do for your health, as well as letting go of catching up. Courtney is one of those people who shines wisdom, and I can't wait to see what she has to share with us today. So here we go. Well, welcome to the show, Courtney. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thanks, Alexa. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, I just wanted to first begin by kind of traveling through the story of your life because I think it's so fascinating to see where you came from and kind of how your life evolved um, into this more minimalist, simplistic lifestyle. So my first question, on your blog, Be More With Less, I read that when you were 16, you wanted more, and at 24, you wanted even more than that. So you said you worked harder, earned more, spent more, to have more, only to owe more. Tell us a little bit more about that time in your life. Like, what was your drive and your passion? And did you actually achieve what you thought you were after? Well, I think it was pretty typical, actually. I mean, I think that's sort of society's message that, you know, you work hard and you earn and work very hard to have everything you want. So yes, we can have it all. But I think that message of having it all really can get distorted when we forget what we really want and get too focused on the steps getting there. And so I started working um, at a really young age and earning money and went into debt uh, as soon as I could. So when I was 18 and could get my first credit card, I was immediately in debt. And the solution for me was never less, it was more. So I have to work harder to pay off this debt 
And then the harder I worked, the more I felt like I had to be rewarded for that. And so I would buy things or take nice vacations or just spend more. And it seemed like there was always that opportunity. You know, I was always extended um, more credit. There were ways, just ways to keep spending and spending. And I never really put the pieces together until uh, many years later that the more I was buying and the more I was spending, the more I was having to work to make up for that. Mm, Right. Yeah. I mean, we're so often we reward ourselves, right, with materialistic things because we think we earn them. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, we deserve them. We deserve nice things. We deserve to be paid for our hard work. But there I was thinking that shopping and doing these expensive things was relieving stress when in actuality it was only piling it on. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So in 2006, living the life you had created, you were diagnosed with multiple sclerosis as you were training for a bicycle race, if I'm correct on this, that was actually a fundraiser for MS. Is that, yes. that's correct? Yeah. So not only did you get the diagnosis, but it was over the phone and a random series of unfortunate events. I kind of read that story about how you called in and they originally told you that you didn't have it only later to call you back that you did. What kind of mental roller coaster were you going through at this time? The whole time, that whole three or four months um, was really a crazy time. I was probably in you know one of the more stressful times in my life being very deep in debt just back to back deadlines at work going crazy volunteering for things at my daughter's school and then you know participating in this MS ride along with all of the other day-to-day stuff that we all go through and I wasn't feeling well I was very uh, fatigued and having uh, quite a bit of vertigo and I just thought it was an ear infection or Mm -hmm. something fluky that would go away or that it was stress related. I mean, how many times did I write off uh, symptoms to stress? And after, you know, many, many weeks of uh, feeling even worse and doing a lot of neurological testing, uh, I did get that phone call. I, I called the neurologist's office from work thinking it was nothing still. And they confirmed that and said, nope, it's not MS. Uh, Let's just take a wait and see approach because it seems like everything's okay. And we talked about sort of the timing of why they didn't let me know sooner. And the, when, once I put the pieces together, I could tell that it, they weren't calling with my test results. They were actually uh, giving me someone else's information And they recognized that pretty quickly too and said, ah, let us give you a call back. And they called back within five minutes and said, oh yeah, you have MS. So that was, it was, I mean, it just happened within all within a few minutes, it seemed like. Um, But to get that information again, over the phone at work, not knowing what the next step was and, uh, you know, my picture of MS uh, was pretty grim. So what I thought would happen and what actually did happen are are very different things. But in that moment, it was just a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. They kind of left it in your hands to 
figure out the next path for your life, what you were going to do with it. Uh, They did. They suggested that I come in and review some pharmaceutical uh, marketing kits and pick a drug. So at that moment, you really had two choices to either let the diagnosis define you and cripple you or take control of the situation yourself. And you said on the blog that you moved from a powerless victim to the hero of your own story. What was that choice? And how did you come to decide what you were going to do in that moment that really kind of defined your future? Sure. It took, it definitely took a little bit of time. I mean, I really had to process the the diagnosis and what that could possibly mean. But very quickly, I did have to move from that place of feeling uh, scared and like a victim, which I did feel like in, in, especially in that moment of being mm-hmm. diagnosed at work to saying, okay, I have some say here in what's going to happen next. And so I just really started to research uh, MS and autoimmune conditions and what uh, how people were living well with MS. That was really important to me because I thought if I can find someone who is doing it well, then I, I will have that confidence to say, if you can do it, I can do it. And in my research, I did find people like that, you know, people that were very active with MS and living well and uh, just looked for, you know, what the, what the similarities were and what contributes to a life of wellness with a diagnosis like this. And the, the arrows kept coming back to stress. Stress mm-hmm. was what was exacerbating symptoms for people, not only with MS, but really all conditions. And so I thought, well, what if I just get rid of the stress in my life? What would that look like? And when I said that and thought it, it sounded crazy. Like, how would I ever do that? I right. mean, here I've just been dumped on with even more stress. Uh, but that really became my mission to eliminate as much stress as possible from my life. How long did it take you to get to that point, do you think? Well, it's been uh, almost 10 years. And I would say that I started alleviating the stress almost immediately Mm -hmm. in certain areas, but one thing at a time and using the momentum from each change to work on the next thing. So while I was, you know, experiencing some immediate benefits, it did take many years to really get to a place where the stress was mostly gone. Mm -hmm. I think during this time, I mean, I just think about getting a diagnosis and the fear and the anxiety and the worry that would overwhelm a person. But I think you have an interesting take on fear. What did you learn about fear during this time and since that life-changing moment? So many things. I've learned that action quiets fear. Mm -hmm. And if I give fear too much attention and really get caught up in my own worries about what might happen, that's when things get a little out of control. But if I can take a step, take some action, even a tiny action, I can focus on something else and realize that most of the things that I worry about never actually happen. So being diagnosed with MS was never on my worry list, that's for sure. And it just really brought that to my awareness. And so when I find myself worrying about things that used to take a lot of time and mental energy, now I can say, this has no merit. Why am I spending any time or attention on this topic? And by taking action in another direction, uh, it really helps me uh, put fear in its place. Yeah, I like that approach of 
just how you define fear of taking action. It's the simplistic way, right? But so so often I feel like I find myself just sitting there. Like when you sit there, all you have time to do is worry. But if you take, take action, like you said, it kind of diminishes that or it takes its place. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes that action might even just be writing about the fear, which you might think gives it more attention. But really, for me, if I can see those crazy thoughts that are rolling around in my brain on paper, it I can really see what's real and what is not. Right. So what are some other ways do you think that people or that you've experienced or you've seen other people kind of overcome this? Because this is such a it's such a big issue in everyone's life, specifically when I see people who are trying to be healthy and, you know, who really are trying to overcome that that hump of just getting on the other side and really living a vibrant life. But there's so much fear and there's so much worry that goes along with that. And so just some tips that you can give us on really how we can do that, how we can take action. Well, I think one thing is not to try to overhaul your entire life at the same time. And that was something I used to do when I was making changes in my life for any reason is it was, I was sort of an all or nothing person. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that meant I was committed to change, but it almost always ended in burnout because I was trying to fix or modify so many different things at the same time that my efforts were really diluted. So when I pulled back and decided to focus on one small change at a time, I was able to make that change um, stick, you know, make it mm-hmm. sustainable and, and really take the time that I needed to, to figure out how to implement things before I would move on to the next step. And that approach has just redefined the way that I start new habits in my life. And all of the healthy changes that I made was really from that approach, that one tiny step at a time. Right. One small change makes all the difference, right? And even that I I used to want to do 10 small changes at a time or Mm -hmm. five big ones at a time. Uh, because I wanted things um, immediately. But looking back on the last 10 years, I can say uh, with great confidence that I'm glad I took it slow. And I'm glad I took the time. And it makes me very excited for the next 10 years and new changes that I might be able to make, even if they take 10 more years. Right. We live in the society that we want that easy button or that quick fix and we want it tomorrow, but lasting change really takes time. So when you think about change and understanding kind of the minimalist perspective that you've taken, do you think that was from a value shift or do you think it was just simply taking action and taking charge of the life you were creating for yourself? It didn't start out uh, as being motivated by simplicity at all. Uh, when I thought about reducing stress, the idea of simplifying my life was not at the top of the list. It wasn't even on my radar. It was about reducing stress. And Mm -hmm. so, but what I noticed is to reduce stress, each change that I made, the core similarity was simplicity. I was simplifying each thing. And that is when I was, became very attracted to that idea of Um, simplicity and minimalism and living with less, dressing with less, having fewer decisions to make. Uh, But it didn't start out that way for sure. Mm -hmm. It really evolved from the action that I was taking, um, which was a great reminder that we don't know what we don't know. And so that action not only quiets the fear, but it 
it informs our next move. What was your first step that you took then? Like what was the first defining thing that you did that you realized that this was beneficial? Well, the first thing that I did was uh, simplify my diet. And when I was thinking about stress, I thought about what about the inside stress? What about the stress mm-hmm. inside my body? You know, what could I do that would have the the biggest impact? And again, this was not doctor recommended, but based on the reading that I was doing, uh, for me, it meant eliminating a lot of the inflammatory foods that I was eating. Mm-hmm. So inflammation is stress, essentially. And for me, that meant cutting out um, most animal products, uh, milk, animal meat. I experimented with some raw diets and really just tried to dial in a, a, a diet that worked for me. And I continue even now, you know, almost 10 years later to experiment because I think our bodies change and our lifestyle changes and our, our nutritional requirements change as well. And so I'm, I'm always playing with that and trying to find the best way for me. Right. I love that because it's it's so often what I teach too is just listening to your own body, which is something that's so difficult because nutrition is constantly changing. And you hit the nail on the head when you said our bodies are constantly changing and the need changes. But yet we still want that stagnant approach to this is just what we do. So it's awesome to hear you say that you kind of evolved with the changing of your body and, and and you're constantly, right? It's it's not a static thing. You're constantly working and evolving and changing what you're doing now. Is that correct? It is. I, I am still making great changes. I mean, I was uh, completely vegetarian for many, many years. And this last past fall, I decided to incorporate some uh, fish into my diet because, you know, eating tofu and soy-based products just wasn't really resonating with me. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a, you know, a specific reason why I just could feel that it wasn't working for me. And now I am eating fish in my diet and that could change in six months or a year. I don't know. Uh, and I am eating much less in terms of uh, whole grains, any grains, pastas, things like that, where for a while that was really you know, a staple in my diet because I was eating less um, meat. I replaced that, I think, with more uh, grains. Right. Kind of using something to fill up what you eliminated for the time being. Yeah. And it it definitely, you know, it definitely helped to eliminate some things, but it's helped me even more now to make that shift and eat fewer things like pasta, some of my favorite foods, actually. So it was a it wasn't an easy shift, but one that I feel much better about now. Right? Yeah. Sometimes you have to do what's best for your body or, you know, those hard things get made easier when you feel so much better on the other side of it. So it kind of comes into my next question. And some of the the blog posts you wrote, which your blog posts are amazing and, and such full of wisdom. I enjoy reading all of them. You wrote on Thank boycotting you. busyness. And in one of them, you said, I will not say yes when my heart says no. Do you believe this is your intuition or kind of the gut? It kind of goes back to what you eat too. You know, you're, you're listening to your own body and, and its needs. Is that what you say you base your life off of now is just this internal kind of listening to your internal intuition or gut? Is that what you would call intuition? It, definitely. I mean, either intuition or heart or soul. I mean, those are all interchangeable terms in some ways for me. 
And I knew that I always had that voice, but I was a way too busy. I didn't have the time or space or attention span to hear it or listen to it. And now that I have intentionally created space and time in my life, I really can hear that now. And sometimes I have to make even more space to Mm. say, I'm going to sit down and be quiet and ask questions of myself and listen to the answers. But I'm also much more intuitive now so that if something doesn't resonate, I you know, I recognize or recognize more what my body is trying to say. And sometimes it's a like a a quiet voice. Or sometimes it's an external sign, like a sign like you're clenching your jaw or squeezing your hands or curling your toes or whatever it is. You know, your body has really interesting ways of saying uh, that's not right. Mm -hmm. Or we need to think this through or hey, let's slow down those signs that kind of tell you things aren't going well, but yet it's so hard to, in this world where we're fed so many messages. And and sometimes I find that it can be scary to listen to your own body or, or what your heart's really telling you and overcome that. Even when it goes against, I think more importantly, when it goes against what other people are doing or what other people are saying you should be doing, how do you overcome this and just really get more um, in tune to what you need and what your body needs rather than kind of what everyone else is telling you? Is it just creating more white space, more more time? I think you're right that it is or it can be scary, especially at first, to really trust yourself. You know, not only do you have to listen to, to yourself, but then you have to trust yourself, trust that you know what's best for your body, for your heart, for your soul. And I think that's one of the reasons we keep so busy sometimes, or we keep listening to those outside voices, because then we have this great excuse for not connecting to what we really know. And what we know may be not the answer we were looking for, or not the answer that we think will please other people. But it's so important. And I think the only way to get comfortable doing it is to start doing it. And so yes, you have to create time and space, but even in the midst of a very hectic, busy, stressful life, I think that you can take time immediately before you start making intentionally making space by just, you know, maybe waking up 5 minutes earlier or making a practice before you go to bed to sit quietly with your hand on your heart for 5 minutes or whatever that small ritual might be, but just to show up, even if there's nothing for days or weeks or months, but just to show up and listen and be open to the fact that you have some inner wisdom and you want to connect with it. Kind of taking time for yourself first putting a priority on yourself, which is hard to do. Kind of goes along with something else you said in the same article. You said, I will ask for help. And on this one, I feel like, especially as women and and even men, I think it's hard to swallow your ego and ask for help to allow yourself to be vulnerable and kind of show that you do need help. And there are areas that you struggle with or or maybe just you don't have the time to get done. Uh, What does that look like for you? Asking for help became... Uh, almost second nature for me once I was diagnosed with MS, especially when I was in that kind of early, the early stages where I really didn't know what was going to happen. And I was doing whatever I could to save myself 
you know, from decline in this illness. And I wanted to figure out ways to, to live well with MS. And I remember my husband being so frustrated because he wanted to do something. He wanted to help. He wanted to fix things. And I wasn't giving him that opportunity. And I needed him just as much as he needed me to tell him how to help or to ask for help. So once I recognized that, it wasn't just a, a favor for me, but that it was a gift for other people for me to express my need for mm-hmm. their contribution. It really helped me ask um, more easily. And that doing that in my personal life even really helped me do it more in my business life, you know, and to recognize that I can't be good at everything. I just can't. And sure, I can push through in the areas that I'm not that strong in. But what if I could bring someone in that's really strong in a particular area? You know, they get to uh, to share their gifts, and I get to benefit from them. So why wouldn't I do that? And it, you know, that notion of asking for help is hard. Really, kind of goes away when you see that everyone is benefiting. Uh, from the fact that we're really all in this together. And if we, we don't ask, um, we're really doing a disservice, not only to ourselves, but to the people who love us and who want to help. Right. I mean, it's kind of an in-tune principle in us that we want to give and we feel valued when we help or give to someone else. So you're right. As you know, when I think about when someone asks me to help them, like I'm so honored and thrilled to be able to do that. But yet twisting the tables, it's a little bit more difficult, but uh, it, it makes so much sense. And just the health of all of us, like you said, uh, just a little backstory kind of on me. Last year, I went through like one of the busiest times of my life and and it was overwhelming. And I got to the point where I was sick and tired, exhausted. And honestly, why I became so passionate about your work and what you do and just sharing that with others is, you know, as I'm a nutritionist and supposed to be healthy, sitting in a doctor's office, sick and tired. And I had, you know, a wise woman look at me and say, you know, you don't have to do it all. You don't have to be at all. And it just was like, you're right. Like, I can't keep doing this. And unfortunately, it took me hitting that low point for me to realize that and open the doors. But it is on the other side. And I kind of want to hear your opinion on it. But on the other side, it is so amazing to realize what I've missed and what I can experience now that I've learned that I don't have to be at all. I don't have to do it all. I don't have to be everywhere and everything to everyone. And instead, I can just enjoy the present. So do you feel like you live more in the present now than, than you ever have? Absolutely. I feel like I finally get to show all the way up, you know, for conversations, for work, for whatever it is, you know, prior when I was trying to do it all or thinking I was doing it all, I was just giving a fraction of my attention to all of these different things and kind of, you know, just phoning it in. And it it was enough to keep the ship afloat, but I wasn't having any fun doing it that way. And I felt very disconnected, but I needed to have sort of that breakdown before I could figure out what was broken and how to fix it. But I'm hoping that the more we talk about the fact that busyness isn't something that, you know, we all have to to do all the time and that we don't have to do everything, that many people will recognize in their own lives that, you know, things are a little disjointed or they're stretched too thin and it's okay to pull back. 
Right. It's such a fear, I think, initially going into it of, will I get it all done? Or if I'm not going to do it, no one's going to do it. Kind of like that, the mentality of it has to be done. But what do you think about, you know, do you think or do you believe that everything that's important is always going to get done? And even though you're living this more simplistic life without all the busyness, you're still achieving what you want to achieve and more? Absolutely. I'm, I'm definitely achieving what I want to achieve. And I'm realizing that it doesn't have to all get done. Uh, and if it doesn't, in most cases, it's okay. I was just thinking about this today that we have this habit of measuring who we are by what we accomplish or by what we get done in a day. And I used to measure you know, my day, how was my day? Well, let me look at my to-do list and see how many check marks there are. Or, well, how much did you do compared to how much I did? And then let's see who had the better day or who was better. You know, that's the way that I would compete with myself and, and measure who I was as a person. You know, if I didn't do enough, then I wasn't enough. And now I, I measure in a completely different way. So my lists are much shorter. I am very selective in the work that I take on. And of course, I have some very full days still, but it's stuff that I'm excited about. And Mm -hmm. it's things that I said yes to with a great intention, not just things that I allowed to be piled on. Right. I totally agree with feeling or measuring your worth by what you've accomplished. You know, I know I've been trying to overcome measuring my worth in the in my day, how the day went, like how much I accomplished on my to-do list or, you know, what was checked off and what didn't, which kind of at the end of the day left me feeling inadequate. And I would even wake up on the other side feeling the same way. So instead trying to embrace the present. Once, uh, I'm not sure how long ago this was, but you took a poll on Twitter and you ask, what would you do differently if you thought you had enough? And you had some really interesting responses to that. Like you would give more, worry less, quit your job, teach others to do the same, volunteer more, quit striving for success, travel, change their career path. I mean, it was thing after thing after thing that everyone thought that they would do if they had enough. What was your take on the answers you received? Well, it made me really sad and really happy at the same time, because in some ways I thought, you know, why do so many people think they don't have enough? And what are we missing in the world because of that? You know, all of these great things that they wanted to contribute, but didn't because they were so stuck in, you know, having, needing more, needing more. What needs to change? And I think it starts from, you know, this kind of this conversation we're having about feeling like you are enough and not measuring, you know, the measurement system is just all screwed up. And that comes from, you know, a lot of different reasons for me anyway, in living with less, it has really illuminated the fact that it wouldn't have mattered how much more I had, it still wouldn't have been enough when I was in that sort of state of competing and comparing it never would have been enough. And it took getting rid of most of it to realize that I already had it all. Right. It was right in front of you. And it's so hard to recognize that when you're so busy. Something you, you've you spoken about before that kind of goes along with this is letting go is not the same as giving up. Can you further elaborate on that? Sure. 
I think people are afraid to let go of, of things because, well, a lot of different reasons. And it depends on what we're talking about. So if we're talking about physical items, you know, letting go is challenging for a lot of people because they've either, you know, had it for so long or they've invested a lot of money in it or they don't want people to think that they don't have everything that they need. But when I talk about letting go and giving up, I'm thinking about, you know, projects and activities and interests and things maybe that we've thought were important and then discovered that weren't, uh, that we hold on to for way too long because of what other people will think or because of the messages we tell ourselves. Like, I've already spent too much time. I've already spent too much money. I've already invested enough. I can't give up on this. But letting go allows you to move on to whatever it is that is next for you or the way that you want to spend your time. So I think it's okay to get up in the middle of a bad movie and uh, walk out uh, to stop reading a book after a couple of chapters, which I know is a real challenge for a lot of people. And it used to be for myself too. You know, even something as as little as that uh, was hard to walk away from. But it was one of the best things I could have done. You know, why am I going to spend another four weeks reading a book that I don't enjoy just to, just for the sake of finishing and clicking that box, checking that box, like finish, done. So what? Right. The need to finish something. So to kind of switch gears, but going along with letting go of some stuff, you developed a wildly successful program called Project 333, which is a minimalist fashion project. Tell us more about this and the success stories you've heard from around the world. Well, this Project 333 started off as a personal challenge to see if I could dress with less than like 33 items or less for three months. And the items I chose included clothing, shoes, jewelry, and accessories. I was working full-time in advertising sales with clients and colleagues and going to events. And I really wanted to see what it would be like um, for those three months. You know, would people notice? Uh, Would it be a sacrifice on my part? What would change? And when I wrote about it on the blog, people were really interested. Um, Some were interested in a in a not so positive way, thinking it was really crazy, but others uh, very curious and interested in trying it for themselves. And since then, so I started that in 2010, uh, and since it's been practiced around the world, it's gotten uh, a lot of traction and people really learn so much about themselves when they do this. And I think one of the most interesting things that I've learned and heard from others is this fashion project has very little to do with fashion or clothes at the end of the day. And it's really more about discovering what enough means for you. And uh, for most people learning that we need way less than we think to be happy. Right. And I think about it in the health realm um, and just something I've personally am experiencing with it and toying with it and honestly loving it is the fact that you feel so confident in what you wear. And that's something I hear so often is, you know, I'm not going to purchase something or feel good in something until I reach a certain number on the scale or a certain size. And I think as women, especially we're plagued with that, that thought that I can't be beautiful until I reach a certain number. But something I like about this, and, and like you said, it goes beyond fashion, but just how you feel and what you wear and the confidence you portray in that it really has an impact on our health and just how how we live. Would you agree with that? 
I would definitely agree. And I think that, uh, at least for me, I always used to think I could buy myself into a new feeling. Like if I had that pair of jeans, I would feel so skinny. Or if I had this, these pair of shoes, I would feel so powerful. Or if I had this coat, I would feel beautiful. Uh, or whatever it was. Again, it was never enough. And there was almost always one more thing I needed to complete my wardrobe or to feel better about myself. Uh, but I realized that until I really did feel powerful or beautiful or smart or whatever that feeling was, you know, nothing I purchased was going to make me feel that way. Beauty isn't how you but look in something, it's how you feel in it. It, it has to start there. And it wasn't until I started this project and didn't shop for many months that I realized that, you know, I kind of had that revelation. And now it's so great because instead of, you know, going through a closet full of clothes and trying to find something to wear and never feeling like I had anything to wear, instead I get to wear my favorite things every single day. And it's, it's easier than you realize. When I initially went into this, because I've kind of um, played around with it, I haven't quite got down to 33, but that's my spring wardrobe is going to be that. When I first went into it, I was like, the, the emotional connection to clothes is just, it's ridiculous sometimes when I think about my own personal connection or emotional connection I have with it. But it's so refreshing to actually walk in and not be overwhelmed because I am by no means a fashionista at all. I wish I had someone to tell me what I should be wearing, but it really just helps to take down that stress level of, okay, there's these options and I I kind of know what to do with them and I don't have to know what to do with 50 shirts and you know 16 pairs of pants, but just the ones that I have. So I think it's such an awesome project and definitely one that I'm going to link at the bottom of the show and just encourage everyone else to do. But going along with that, that it's more than just a fashion project. You wrote on your blog that you often skim over your diagnosis on the blog because it isn't really about MS. And again, it's not living with less either. You write about decluttering, paying off debt, and living more simply, but those are just little chapters in a bigger book about love, connection, light, and living, really living. Can you give us anything or any steps that we can take that help us to get to a place of just really living? I think you, again, you have to start small and start by creating the space. And so oftentimes that does start with decluttering one drawer or your closet or your pantry or whatever that is, and then use that momentum to do the next space. And what I found is initially my focus was more on the mechanics, you know, the, the letting go, the decluttering making space, making time. But what I realized throughout the process is that I was making love. I was creating space for the people that I love, the things that I love, the work that I love. And I think it takes a little bit of, of getting back to basics before you might arrive there. And at first it is, it can be scary because you think, you know, what if I create all this time and space and I don't know what I love? And the answer to that is, well, then you have some time to think about it. I think in many cases, simplicity really brings you back to love because at some point in time, there has been some something in your life that you've really been passionate about and really cared about, but you lost the ability to give it your attention. And this brings you back because now you're freeing up, you know, literal space 
actual time on your calendar, energy, mental space, all of it. So yeah, one small area in your home, one small place on your calendar, you know, maybe it's making uh, scheduling an hour a day that no matter what, it never gets filled in. And it's just space for you to do whatever you want. Uh, It's not for yoga class. It's not for carpooling. It's not for shopping. It's for nothing. It's just to see what happens during that hour. Yeah, that's great advice that we can all take action and start this today because it really does make a huge impact on your emotional state, spiritual state, you know, your physical state as well. So before we go, I just had a fun series of questions that I had a bunch of readers ask that I ask you. So I just wanted a really quick short answer. We'll try to fly through these pretty quickly. They all have to do with fashion and just the capsule wardrobe, just to warn you on this. But the first question was, how much new stuff do you buy for each new season of the capsule wardrobe? It really varies from season to season. So I always recommend for the first season not to buy anything new and simply to work with what you have. And going through that three months with 33 items or less will really help you know what you need or want. But it just depends on where I am. So it might be one item. It might be no items. It might be three items. But I don't think I've added anything for the past couple of seasons. So probably just a couple times a year, if that, I'll add something. Yeah. Do you have any essentials for spring? I haven't really dug into my spring wardrobe yet. You know, I have got another uh, month of winter and looking at or just thinking about the items I have, I probably won't add much for that either. I mean, many of the items I have are year round and it's not like I have 33 different items for each season. Right, right. So reader wants to know if you have any suggestions on your favorite pants. Well, my favorite pants are jeans. So I have a pair of jeans and a pair of leggings in most of my capsule collections, but I don't share brand names. That's sort of a rule that I have because I don't think there's a perfect brand for everyone. And I don't want to encourage people to, again, be searching for that perfect thing because I just, that's not a thing. Mm -hmm. Right. But just kind of sticking with the basics, probably on pants, getting more of, like you said, a jean and a legging, something that you can wear with multiple items rather than a flashy pair of pants that maybe is harder to pair with. Uh, So another question, I was going to say for some people, a flashy pair of pants might be just what you want in your capsule wardrobe. For me, no. Right. (laughs) Depending on your personality, which this is a great way to let your personality kind of shine through and let you feel who you, you know, really are. So number four, is there anything you avoid from adding to your wardrobe? I avoid adding uh, really like trendy pieces or uh, something that I, I know I would never wear, but think it looks good on someone else mm-hmm. uh, because I've just been burned by that so many times. Like that looks so good on her and then I'll buy it. And when I knew I would never wear it and I never do. So I, you know, after more than five years of, of dressing like this, I really know for me what's best and what I will wear. So it has to not only fit my body, but my lifestyle. Mm. And I try to just stay within that I don't know if shape is the right word, but within that style. Right. Being very practical with what you're what you're using. Number five, what is the one staple that is in every single capsule? There are a few things. Sunglasses is in every capsule. Uh, usually a black tank, although I don't have one in my um, winter collection. So yeah, I'd say jeans and sunglasses are definitely in every capsule. 
What is the hardest season for your capsule? And none of them are hard for me anymore, but probably my first year uh, winter was the hardest because I included, you know, gloves and a hat oh, okay. and mm-hmm. scarf and I needed more outerwear. And so I had fewer other, fewer of the other items. Right. Yeah. That makes total sense. The last question, do you allow yourself to buy higher end items when you're buying far less than you normally would? If it's the right thing, sure, Mm -hmm. but it's not that I set out to buy a specific brand or a specific price tag, Um, but I am, you know, I I don't shop very often, so when I do shop, I'll buy what I think is the right thing for me. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that in all of these questions, on Instagram, there's a really good feed going for Project 333, and it shows people's wardrobes and what they're wearing. And I feel like it's so inspiring to kind of see how other people are embracing this, um, especially if you want to see kind of, you know, maybe what other people are using for spring as their capsule. You post those on your Instagram feed as well, correct? I do. And if you search um, hashtag Project 333 on Instagram, you'll get a lot of great, great ideas. Right. Okay. So before we go, tell us where we can find more about you and your beautiful words of wisdom that you share with the world. Well, first, thank you for your kind words. And for this time, it's been really nice to talk to you. Uh, You can find uh, anything I do at bemorewithless.com. And for social media, probably the best place is Instagram and it's at bemorewithless. Awesome. Well, you are doing amazing things and I can't wait to see what's in your future and how you continue to impact the world. And you're going on tour this summer, right? Just before we go, I saw that you're going on tour. I am taking my tiny wardrobe on tour starting in a couple of weeks, actually. Where are you going first? Is it? Did I see the schedule for New York first? So the first stop is New York, and that is in March, and then London in April, um, perhaps uh, California as well in April, and then the other dates are to be determined. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to link that up and stay tuned for that because I think it's just incredible what you're doing and how you really are paving the way for a new, you know, a new way to live and a life that is more fulfilling for sure. It's definitely one that you have helped me on, even though we've only talked a few other times, but you've definitely transformed Um, and help fill my life with so much more purpose and so much more value than I could have ever imagined. So again, thank you so much for your, your work and all that you do. Well, thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure. As Courtney mentioned, you can find more about her and Project 333 on her blog, bemorewithless.com. I've linked both of those along with her Instagram feed and the show notes at simplerootswellness.com slash 008. I promise you'll want to take a look at her blog and dig deep into some of the life-changing yet simple steps she shares on her journey towards health. Just to give you a few takeaways to share with you before we sign off for the day, one is to live in the present. The future and the past hold no power on what is happening right now, so don't miss out on the worries of tomorrow, but know that the only true change is going to occur today. Which brings us to point number two. One small thing every day makes a difference if we're aiming for lasting health. It's no longer about just the quick fix, but finding a solution that can be sustained for life. Third point is take time for yourself. Courtney was a big proponent of this, and every day she mentioned in the show making one hour for nothing. Not even yoga, a run, just nothing, and wait for each day to see what comes of it. 
I can't wait to start doing this because normally when I block out time, it is for something like a run or to read a book or it's very specific. So I'm excited to try it of just nothing and seeing what the day brings, how much freedom that brings to our day. This episode is jam-packed with so much information. You may have to do another listen, but in the meantime, don't forget you can get all the show notes on the website again at simplerootswellness.com slash 008. As always, don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to keep the discussion moving on your thoughts on today's episode and encourage one another to strive for endurance and not a quick fix. Make sure you tag me if you step out on the limb and try out Project 333. I'll be sure to share my own success with this project in the coming weeks. If you want more accountability, a weekly meal plan that is family-friendly, delicious, and of course healthy, as well as motivation, encouragement, and additional tips to provide you more clarity and excitement in this health journey, don't forget to log on to simplerootswellness.com and sign up for my weekly meal plans delivered to your inbox every Thursday. And finally, as always, don't forget to subscribe to the show and make sure you rate and review the podcast as well. Rating and reviewing allows other people who wouldn't normally hear about the show to find it and experience this life-changing podcast. We've added a super fast link in the show notes that takes you right to the ratings and reviews without a million clicks. Such a time save. So make sure you log on to the show notes to find that and it works incredibly well on your mobile device as well. And to leave you, I really want to encourage you to support and feel confident in who you are today. Sure, you may not be at the size you're hoping for, but don't let that stop you from living a life. Life is too short to waste worrying about the number on the scale. Embrace you, and I can promise that once you start embracing you, living confidently in the present, lasting change will happen because this requires you to take action and create change. Repeat after me, I am beautiful. And that you are, my friend. Choose this week to embrace you, and I will see you with another episode next week.